Welcome everybody to the next episode of the Cannabis Review. I am delighted to be joined in this episode by Shane McGill, who's a Senior Industry Manager at Euromonitor International. How are you keeping today, Shane? Hi, Alan. How are things? Fantastic, mate. Thank you very much for taking your time to do this. For those who don't know about Euromonitor International, they're one of the top uh, research companies in the world. Can you maybe give everybody a quick little overview of how you came to work with them and how you dipped your toe into the cannabis uh, industry? Yeah, so Euromonitor is what we call a strategic research agency. So that means we produce kind of data on an annual basis in, in, across a range of industries. We're not like a tactical agency, so we don't have scan data like a Nielsen would. Uh, we're not doing kind of big consumer tracker panels, et cetera, but we produce uh, kind of annual data sets on about 30 different industries. I was uh, started working for Euromonitor about a decade ago, kind of fell into it by accident. I was uh, doing some legal training um, uh, by background and kind of took a break from that uh, and ended up starting to work uh, temporarily or what I thought was temporarily. Um, then I started working within the tobacco space um, and uh, until about 2016, I was doing that exclusively looking at the tobacco industry, servicing kind of the clients we have on the tobacco side, which are a mix of kind of industry clients, so the big tobacco companies, but also some of the, the public health agencies, um, governments, etc. Um, and then uh, in around 2016-17, I started looking at the cannabis industry initially from the perspective of what impact legalization in that space was going to have on, on the tobacco space. Um, but I very kind of quickly realized that, you know, the cannabis industry was something that was going to be extremely meaningful <clears throat> across a range of the industries that we look at within within Euromonitor. Um, and, you know, a lot of the kind of structural problems, if you want to put it that way, um, that we were seeing in industries like tobacco, but not limited to tobacco. If you look at things like alcoholic drinks, you know, consumer health. Um, you know, all of those kind of uh, those big sort of monolithic legacy industries, you know, consumers were disillusioned with what those industries were producing, what those companies were um, were delivering. You know, if you look at, you know, to a certain extent, tobacco, but, but you know, you can see it very clearly, I think, in the alcoholic drinks industry, some of those big uh, alcoholic drinks producers are really kind of uh, an exercise in financial engineering as much as, you know, kind of delivering to, to what consumers really, really want and need. Um, and we kind of very quickly um, came to the conclusion that the, the, the legal cannabis industry as it then was had a, a lot of potential to kind of address a lot of these kind of issues that consumers had with existing kind of product offerings across a range of, of spaces. So we kind of, myself and in particular, my equivalent on, on the AD side, Spiros Malandrakis, kind of started to developing the, the research we were doing on, on the cannabis space, almost in our spare time, really, um, and, and started to kind of expand and, and widen that. Uh, we began to work with clients in that space. It took a lot of persuading internally in the company um, that this was something that was kind of serious, that had commercial potential for us, etc. Um, and we've now brought it forward kind of uh, from that sort of start in about 2016 to here where we now have a kind of fully fledged cannabis database that sits alongside all of the other data sets that we have within the company. I always tell people, you know, one of the things that obviously the industry talks about a lot and that we talk about in the industry is the idea of normalizing cannabis but i mean within euromonitor cannabis is now I'm, I'm quite proud and pleased to say fully normalized it sits alongside all of those other industries that we research um and we try to look at the cannabis space as an industry in its own right but also through the lens of those other industries as well
Very good. Uh, for somebody as big as you guys, I'm sure like cannabis after a little bit of, of niggling with the bosses, I know you guys were set up in the 70s, which is a good while ago, that yeah. cannabis across consumer packaged goods, touches across pharmaceuticals, cosmetics. There's a number of different disciplines. So how quickly did you guys get into the, the, the run of things of being able to create reports? Was it a year or two of due diligence or was it a, a, a information that just already had stacked up in time for the first report? What was kind of the process of getting the, the, the sector at Euromonitor off the ground? Yeah, um, I mean, the first thing for us that we really wanted to do was kind of understand the industry very well. I mean, uh, as I said, I did a lot of the work with, with Spiros. Spiros is someone who uses cannabis, uh, you know, me not so much, but we were coming at it from different angles and we really wanted to understand, you know, the industry in terms of the regulation around the space, um, you know, what companies that are currently operating or, or at that time were currently operating in, in, in the industry, what, you know, what they're set up like, what they do, how they produce, you know, what the supply chain is, all of that sort of stuff. So we spent some time as you say, due, due diligence, but just basically doing our research. I mean, we're, we're a research agency, so that's what, you know, we were, um, we started off doing was just making sure that we fully understood um, the industry, speaking to people that, you know, we reached out to anyone and everyone that we could find working in the space who would speak to us um, to get a sense of what the industry looked like. You know, we went to some of those early conferences um, that were up and, and around in London and so on um, to get a handle on it. And then after about six months or a year or so, we started really writing some of the briefing work that we were doing and, and working more closely with clients. And I think, you know, as you said, <clears throat> what sets us apart, I, I guess, is that we have cannabis sitting alongside all of those other industries. You know, there are, there are a lot of very good research agencies and data providers in that space, particularly in North America, obviously, who are providing very, very granular data in the cannabis industry. That's not something we do, but what we can do um, is put cannabis in the context of all of the other kind of consumer verticals that there are and you know consumers are neither one thing nor another exclusively a cannabis consumer is not just consuming cannabis they're obviously consuming in other areas as well and there's obviously the potential i think most importantly or most crucially we feel for cannabinoid products to compete with um, products that are existing in other areas and kind of win over consumers who are already consuming in those spaces so we started looking at you know those adjacent industries um you know particularly things like obviously tobacco, alcohol, but consumer health as well, you know, packaged food, those kind of spaces, the soft drinks industry, and bringing all of that into, into the equation as well. Yeah, I've been looking at this industry for a couple of years now and kind of started this off as a data gathering exercise to see who was full of shit, who wasn't, who were the operators, who wasn't. And it, it seems to me that we're splitting into the industry. North America's got their own industry, but the way it looks to me is that Europe is going to turn into biotech companies and synthetic cannabinoids are going to dominate cosmetics, food and beverage, uh, vapes, tinctures, a number of other different projects, purely because the molecule is safe, it's replicable a million times over, it has to pass the stringent of rules. And it looks now, even with Germany's uh, uh, announcement there last week, that I always believed that the social club model was where the rec industry was going. We were never going uh -huh. to have these dispensary stores all over Europe. That it seems to be that the European industry is now splitting into farm and biotech dominating the ingredient side of things and then the social clubs giving to the let's say the activists and the consumers what it is that they actually want which is right to grow being able to buy product at a specific price and not be price scheduled do you think the industry in europe is going the way i, I think it is 
Uh, I mean, I, I think certainly on the on the more, if you want to put a therapeutic side or that kind of CBD and medicinal side, I think that's definitely correct. Um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of kind of precedent for regulation at the EU level. If you look at kind of devices regulation or medicines regulation, um, you know, for the, the way that might move, um, you know, certainly the initial um, kind of regulation of CBD around you know, novel foods and, and making sure that there's an evidence base there and that, and that there's licensing and so on. I think we'll, we'll see more of that. Um, and in general, again, Europe is, you know, to just broaden it out in general, Europe tends to be more restrictive, I think, in terms of the way they, they regulate uh, substance consumption than somewhere like in North America. So I think that's certainly true. Um, it does seem like in the short term on the rec side that, that the, the social club model is is the way it's it's moving and obviously you know again there's precedent for that in terms of what's happening in spain um there are social clubs in some of the other european markets already i do you know somewhat wonder ultimately whether that's going to um you know kind of expand the industry in the way that 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 perhaps uh, the industry itself would want perhaps even the way governments would want in terms of, you know, being able to deliver an excise revenue base and all of that sort of stuff and, and really develop an industry that employs uh, significant numbers of people and so on. So I'm, I'm slightly, I'm still slightly hesitant uh, in terms of the, not, not in terms of the social club model itself. I think, as you say, that's obviously something that will deliver to consumers what they want, you know, the the, the flower at the right price and so on and, and strip away a lot of what you know, I guess you could describe as the nonsense that goes on in North America. Um, but I do think there's a, you know, there's a cost of the social club model in terms of where do you really get that investment that maybe is needed in the industry to develop things like format, um, innovation, technology, um, you know, to develop kind of brands, et cetera, that are going to bring consumers who aren't already engaged in the, in the legacy industries into the space. Um, so it may be, you know, as looks like is going to happen in Germany, it may be that the first wave of, of legalization on the rec side in Europe will be oriented around the social club. But I, I do think ultimately it, it may well go further than that um, just because there there's a shortcoming there in terms of, of industry development, I think. Do you think the retail model in Europe will be dominated by the North American brands like cookies? I've already seen some transactions where people have acquired the rights to cookie stores in Europe already. Yeah. Do you think that's going to be the case just with the, they've got a decade of experience, they'll have the retail know-how, or do you see that there is going to be capital in the European markets and there is going to be brands and let's say retail stores as big in Europe as, as they are in North America and we end up exporting over to North America with some of the brands we create? I yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there will be North American brands that have the potential to penetrate in Europe, whether it's going to be cookies specifically, um, you know, I don't know. I think obviously there's that there, there's some kind of first mover advantage there in terms of brand equity and name recognition and all that sort of thing. And I know that, for example, in the, in the medical cannabis market in Germany, there's there's you know, patients that, that are looking at cookies and, and there's already a certain equity there. But, uh, you, you know, I think if you look at, again, for example, the uh, an adjacent market like the alcohol market or the tobacco market, there's a number of local brands within the European space that there has been, you know, over a number of years. And particularly if you, if you think about that sort of smaller scale social club model, I think that implies really 
more local, um, more indigenous brands, and at least initially within the space. And I think, again, look at Berlin, which is likely to be, you know, whether there's full legalization in Germany or whether it goes to some kind of regional pilot or, or, or a combination of that and social club. You can really imagine the kind of, I guess, unique culture of, of Berlin, you know, developing some strong and interesting local cannabis brands um, out of that. And again, you know, look at something like Fritz Kohler or whatever, you know, one of the only colas in Europe that has strong equity that competes with a, with a big global North American brand coming out of Germany. I think there will be those types of of brands in the cannabis space uh, in Europe. So I don't think it's going to be all North American brands. And I think, you know, if I was someone who was looking at licensing over a North American brand right now to enter into a European environment that we don't know what that's actually going to look like, I think I would be probably thinking twice about that, to be quite honest. Another one of the questions I want to ask you, you're based in the UK and have a lot of uh, experience over there. One of the things I start to see a lot of is the, the media entities and let's say some of the companies in the UK they, they, some, they still seem to seem that they're part of Europe and that the trading between the UK and Europe in the cannabis industry is going to be fine. I own another company that trades with the UK and it's the biggest shit show I've ever dealt with since Brexit came in, the tax getting added. Do you see the UK cannabis companies being at a disadvantage to the to the main European entities in France and Germany and, and Spain and countries like that? Yeah, I think that potentially will will become more of an issue over time. I mean, obviously there isn't, you know, there, there isn't a huge industry right now. Obviously there, there's there's a certain infrastructure around the legacy space, but there isn't a huge industry right now. So maybe it's not as apparent as it will become, but I think that's certainly the case. I mean, obviously traditionally or over the last number of years, I think the UK industry has grown up as much around, um, you know, while there is sort of, strong consumption of, of CBD and so on in the UK market. I think the, the industry there has grown up around the fact that there's some of the capital is based in London and, and some of that yeah. is happening in that space and industries have grown up around that. So I think they haven't really tested that trade flow between the UK and Europe. And I think you're, you're right. You'll find that over time, you know, as that infrastructure develops, that if you want to call it isolation will become, <laughs> will become kind of more pronounced in, in the cannabis space. And again, there are strong, European companies increasing in the space. Obviously, we, we know some of the market companies that are in Germany, um, you know, the likes of Sanity and so on. You know, there's a strong, for example, again, in Spain, I just came back from ICBC in Spanish, as you can see, like a, a strong kind of industry beginning to develop in Spain. You know, there are, um, you, you know, there are, there are seed companies there, for example, that are amongst the biggest employers in, in the locations in which they're based and so on. So I, you know, I, I don't think the European industry is going to be waiting for UK companies to come across and and deliver to them. I think there'll be plenty of, of European mainland based companies that will be able to do that for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Ireland before we go. We had a kind of a summit in the RDS there like six weeks ago sold out great event and it was pitched as Dublin is going to be the, the the base for Europe for any North American company that if you're doing cultivating in Portugal or extraction in Romania whatever it may be that Dublin should be the main base of Europe do you see Ireland being one of the like biggest winners of let's say a European cannabis industry because the North American companies are coming here they all seem to be geared up for it and why would they move into a non-English speaking territory that has a couple of disadvantages. Why wouldn't they follow the remit that Mark Zuckerberg and Tim Cook and the CEO of Pfizer have all done and set up base here? Do you see us being one of the big winners of this? 
Yeah, I think that there's certainly an argument for that. And obviously there's a there's underlying fundamentals there that you've just kind of adverted to in terms of what makes Ireland attractive for any kind of company. It's that, um, you know, time zone, uh, language, it's the tax as well. We, we should we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that. It's the levels of education, you know, the sort of labor force that's there, et cetera. So I don't think the cannabis industry is any different to that. And particularly when you talk about you know, the European market likely to be one that is focused around biotech and all of that kind of um, aspect of it. I think that there's certainly a strong argument for that. I'm obviously, in, I think, you know, obviously the the drug policy or the cannabis policy that's in place there probably feeds into it as well. I'm interested to see now what's going to happen with the kind of citizens assembly. I think, you know, there, there seems to me to be, you know, again, coming out of a uh, uh, coming out of a historical background where obviously you wouldn't have put Ireland as, as a, a big candidate for, for liberalization in terms of cannabis policy. I think there's something interesting brewing there. Um, you know, if you look at public perception around, around what we should be doing in the space, I think there, you know, there, there could be movement as well from a policy point of view that actually just enhances that overall kind of business proposition as well. So I, you know, I certainly think that that's, that's an element here and that Ireland. Uh, probably could be an oversized player in the European industry as well. I mean, it, it already is to some extent. <laughs> you don't have to look far for an Irish face in the European cannabis industry. So there's there's plenty of you know there's plenty of Irish presence as it is, and I think some of that's gonna gonna reflect or gonna come back in terms of you know actual physical presence of companies in in in, in Ireland. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. We've reached over our time. I could actually talk to you for another hour on this topic, Shane. It's been very informative. Hopefully we can get to have a part two to this conversation in a couple of months' time. And hopefully the Citizens' Assembly over here have taken a couple of steps forward. Yeah, we can speak after that. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much, Sean. Thank you very much, Shane. Until next episode, everybody. Music.